You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Welcome back to the podcast. I have a really, really awesome interview for you guys today. Today, I share the interview that I did with Rachel Gregory. She is a board certified nutritionist. She's a strength conditioning specialist, a podcaster and founder of Metflex Life. I love it. It's kind of like the play on Netflix, but with metabolic flexibility. She's also the author of the international best-selling book, 21 Day Ketogenic Diet Weight Loss Challenge. She got her master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology from James Madison University, and she got her bachelor's degree in sports medicine from the University of Miami, which she kind of talks about her journey and through schooling and kind of where she where she came to within the space that she is now. Um, she's a former collegiate triathlete and athletic trainer. We talk a lot about that journey in this podcast and. Currently, she just has a day-to-day coaching business. She guides her clients to becoming her best, most confident versions of themselves. She's got a passion for educating those dedicated to optimizing their physical and mental well-being while improving long-term health and fitness goals. Her most popular course, Keto for Women, has helped women all across the world learn how to ditch restrictive, all-or-nothing mindset associated with keto and instead thrive through the power of metabolic flexibility. And metabolic flexibility is the big thing that we are chatting about in the podcast today. It's something I get a ton of questions about. It's something that is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important. So I cannot wait to share this conversation with you guys. I think that you're absolutely going to love it. Metabolic flexibility is something we all should be striving for, no matter what your goal, physique, health, whatever, hormones, it is so incredibly, incredibly important. So I am going to, without further ado, give you guys this amazing interview with Rachel, and I hope that you love it. I'm actually going to be on her podcast this week as I'm recording this one, so I'm excited to share that. Um, and just happy to connect with her. Um, she is, she was really, really fun to talk to lots of really great actionable steps that you can take within this podcast to better your metabolism. So I'm really excited for you to check it out. Enjoy. All right, Rachel Gregory, welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really excited to have you here. I have been meaning to really take a deep dive into metabolic flexibility. And I know that that is like your wheelhouse, your area, and just I'm just so excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So for people who might not be familiar with you, your work, how you got into kind of what you do, talk a little bit about your background so we can kind of, like I was saying, kind of offline, we all have kind of that pain, pain to purpose, right? Like we, I have, I had my own hormone issues. And so that was like my pain. And now that's my purpose and what I do. And I know that, you know, I know a little bit about your story offline. And so I'd love to hear you know, really diving into that and like what your background is and how it brought you to what you do today. Yeah, sure. So like I was saying offline, feel free to interrupt me if I <laughs> tend to, I tend to ramble on about things, but I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, so just, you know, growing up, I was always into sports. Um, I played basketball, softball my, my entire life. I thought I was going to actually go to college and play basketball um, at like a, a D2 or D3 school. I wasn't wasn't good enough for D1, um, but I actually got injured my junior year of high school. So that 
um, that sort of dream, I guess, was kind of put on hold. I missed my whole season, my AAU season. Um, and after that, I realized that I probably uh, needed to, you know, think about taking a different route. Um, and so I ended up going to undergrad and getting my uh, degree in athletic training at the University of Miami because um, I figured, you know, if I couldn't be an athlete, the next best thing would be to kind of be able to treat the athletes and n- learn more about, you know, sports medicine and um, physiology, you know, all of that, all of that realm within, you know, training and all of that. Um, and growing up, like within high school, I, I was never like overweight. Um, I would say, or obese, I would say like, I was a, like, I kind of went through yo-yo dieting periods, um, you know, throughout, you know, the end, probably like seven, eighth grade and then into high school, um, never really kind of understood like nutrition and things like that. Um, I grew up in a, like a, I would say a semi-healthy household. Um, my parents were very like, you know, health conscious, but in the way that, they, I guess, thought they were health conscious, but maybe not um, as like we kind of see today in terms of, you know, like, for example, I always give this example my dad, like he would eat cereal every morning and even, you know, it would be like honey bunches of oats and it would mm-hmm. have like heart healthy cereal on there. So it's like, oh, it's heart healthy. <clears throat> it's good for you. So I would eat cereal every morning and we'd have it with skim milk. We'd have like Gatorade in the fridge and, you know, things like that. So like, quote unquote healthy things, but tons of sugar, tons of, you know, just, and we would have like pasta every night, like things like that. So, um, and obviously focus on fruits and vegetables and all of that. But so I kind of went through my own kind of journey with nutrition. And as I got into undergrad, um, I was in the athletic training program at University of Miami and I took my first nutrition class, I believe it was like first semester of sophomore year. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is really interesting. And I, I just got super into it. Um, I ended up doing triathlons in college. So I was trying to, you know, match my nutrition with the training that I was doing and getting more into that. Um, and I guess I don't want to go too far, too far down that rabbit hole, but, um, end of, end of, um, my junior year or sorry. Yeah. End of sophomore year, I realized that I, um, was really, really enjoying nutrition and athletic training was great, but, um, it, I wanted to get more. So I decided to find an, uh, find a, a graduate school program that I could, um, you know, work as a graduate assistant athletic trainer and get my master's in nutrition and exercise physiology. Um, so that was, that was great. I went to JMU, James Madison University, and did that. Um, it was a two-year program, so I was able to work as an athletic trainer and get, you know, grad school paid for me, which was amazing. Awesome. Um, yeah. And, you know, in, as I went through grad school, as I was working as an athletic trainer, uh, I continued to realize that it wasn't really the path I wanted to continue on past grad school in terms of, um, that career. And, um, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise in terms of like, uh, when I was talking to my mentor, um, and trying to figure out, cause we had to do a thesis study. So mm-hmm. within that thesis study, it was, you know, basically find it. He, he told me, find a subject that you're interested in that's related to nutrition and exercise and, you know, dive into the literature, see what's there or what's not there. Really what's not there is it was the biggest thing. Um, and like dive into the research. And at that time, when I got to grad school, I started, um, getting into CrossFit and I was like, okay, well, CrossFit, um, this is kind of like newer. This was back in like 2014. So CrossFit was still kind of up and coming. Um, and, he was like, okay, the, you know, if this is your exercise population, you can use this for your study. Now we have to find a nutritional intervention. Um, 
And so I actually came across the ketogenic diet as I was researching. Um, and again, this is back in 2014. So keto was like just starting off. Um, sorry, my dog is barking in the background. I apologize. I hope oh you gosh, can't hear okay. that. I'm surprised it's not mine. It's usually mine. And she's usually howling at the mailman. So it's no problem. <laughs> yeah, she's probably, I don't know. She's probably barking herself in, in the TV reflection. She does that every day. <laughs> Um, anyway, so now I, I'm rambling, but, um, so anyway, I got really into CrossFit and, um, <clears throat> sorry, my dog is distracting me. I apologize. Um, and so ended up, you know, looking at the research, there was nothing on keto and CrossFit, right? There was nothing there. There was like no, no study looking at, um, implementing any type of ketogenic diet in a CrossFit population. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I didn't really know anything about keto at that time. So I had to really dive in and learn as much as I could. Um, long story short, I start, I ended up doing one of the first studies looking at the ketogenic diet and non-elite CrossFit athletes. And I always preface this with non-elite because these were just kind of your average Joe, um, like moms and dads going to CrossFit, um, a few times a week, just trying to get a good workout in. And, um, within this study, the goal was to actually, the main goal was to see if they could change their body composition over a period of time. So lose body fat and, you know, maintain their performance or potentially increase their performance. Um, and so it ended up being a, a great study. It was, uh, there was a lot of things that I wish I could have done that I couldn't just because of the limitations that I had within that time period. Um, but it was a good start, right? With research, it's always like, there's always things that you want to do, or you look back, like look, looking back now, there's always things that I would, I would, you know, do differently, um, within the research world. Um, but hopefully that kind of would just kind of help propel the research and propel people to, to get more interested in this type of work. Um, anyway, I'm going to try to wrap this up, but I uh, got out of grad school and um, went back to uh, Miami and I worked for a supplement company as um, a researcher, realized I didn't want to do that. And I ended up moving to California um, and pursuing my own nutrition business long-term. Um, I started my own online business. I wrote a book about keto. Um, I started, I went down that low carb keto lifestyle myself for a really long time. And I got to a point where I was just like deep in the rabbit hole and realized that I was struggling a lot with uh, incorporating carbs back into my life. And I, I realized that like I was very, very carb phobic. I was just kind of like fearing whole food carbs, which is just crazy. Like I would just get so nervous to eat like fruit or a sweet potato, like things like that, which is just crazy looking back at that now. Um, but when I say that too, it, there's a lot of people who struggle with that. And that's really the wheelhouse of, of uh, clients that I work with are mostly females who are sh maybe have gone keto and they saw good results and they felt good um, and it benefited them. But now they're just like, okay, I, I don't necessarily want to go deep, deep down this um, kind of keto rabbit hole forever. And I don't really know how to bring the carbs back in or use them, you know, to benefit me, which there are many ways that carbs can benefit you. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what my uh, journey has been. And it ultimately brought me to um, realizing that metabolic flexibility was super, super important for everyone and that there's kind of a, a spectrum of people. And we can get into this in terms of, you know, like how metabolically flexible they are and where they're at on this spectrum and like how we can uh, use certain nutrition and exercise interventions and lifestyle interventions to um, bring them back to that balance while still being able to, uh, you know, use carbs and fats as fuel sources when it's warranted. So we can get into all that, but yeah, that's really, um, kind of the long winded story. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff I missed, but I'm going to shut up now and let you talk. 
I love it. No. So, so what do you feel like brought you or like, yeah, it kind of brought you to that low carb space, especially with being an athlete. And, you know, I see so many athletes that I work with, you know, it's kind of just like high carb or nothing. Like there's nothing. And now, you know, even still, I, my husband and I joke that I'm a NARP, but I still consider myself an athletic person, but I really have found that good balance. Like you said, kind of with that metabolic flexibility, not always in ketosis, but overnight I probably am and just kind of experimenting with that. So how did you get into that space with being an athlete? Yeah. So that's, I mean, really when I was in grad school and I started researching keto, like back in 2014 for my study, I just got super, super intrigued by it. And I was like, like I had never really heard of it before. Like obviously I heard of Atkins and all of that, but I was not, I was not familiar with like the state of ketosis or being able to use that alternate fuel source ketones as, as fuel. And so I, you know, went down, like I put myself on a ketogenic diet. I experienced it. and I got a lot of benefits, especially Within grad school, um, when I was, you know, I was doing CrossFit, but I was not very like competitive. I was, again, I was your average Joe going to CrossFit just to get a hard workout in, you know, within that 45 minutes to an hour time period where I, I didn't have much time in grad school. So it was like, get a nice workout in, you know, be able to enjoy that community, still have that competitive aspect. Um, but also really my focus there was, you know, how do I continue to have energy throughout the day and focus throughout the day and not have like, you know, that afternoon crash and not always be thinking about food. And so I found a lot of food freedom when I did, um, you know, start low carb. I found, you know, just being able to focus better throughout the day, not really having, um, you know, kind of getting off that blood sugar roller coaster. Um, And so I had a lot of benefits there. And I was like, you know, I was kind of your typical like, oh, this is great. So I want to just keep going and see, you know, started fasting, started experimenting with that, started, you know, thinking, you know, more is better and just continued yeah, on that <laughs> on that route. Um, and so that's really what, you know, brought me into the low carb lifestyle. And I would say I was kind of there for, you know, a few years and I was getting a lot of benefits from it and then started to not, you know, have those benefits anymore, or at least started to kind of just um, realize that like, getting more into performance and more into bodybuilding style training after grad school, um, kind of got away from CrossFit a little bit. Um, and even with my CrossFit training, as I wanted to advance with that, like performance was just kind of at a standstill. Um, I started to just, you know, I actually started to gain more weight. Um, I was really like stressed out. I couldn't get back, you know, I couldn't get my body into a place that was kind of like, um, you know, in that parasympathetic state, I was always just very, very high, you know, high strung, like type A, whatever. And so it just wasn't, you know, uh, I, I wasn't getting any progress anymore. So um, at that point, I had to take a step back and kind of actually, I hired my own coach who helped me to transition and bring carbs back into my life and um, have that outside pers- perspective. And I went through like my own transformation, I lost like 20 pounds and um, you know, completely changed my body composition using carbs and, um, using them strategically, uh, within my training and, but still actually benefiting from periods of, you know, lower carb or days of lower carb and things like that. So that's what really got me into this is just realizing that I can benefit from both. Um, I don't need to go super high carb. I don't need to go super low carb. Um, there's days where I can transition between both and I can really ultimately like, my goal is, and for all my clients is to just become as metabolically flexible as possible to be able to do that. So totally. So 
can we talk about metabolic flexibility? What do you mean when you say that? I get that question a lot. Like, what does it mean to be metabolically flexible? Yeah. So basically it just means that you are able to, like your body is able to efficiently shift back and forth between using fat for fuel or fat and ketones for fuel and also using glucose or carbohydrates for fuel. Right. And so we know that like our ancestors were metabolically flexible by necessity, right? So they went through periods where um, they were not eating or they were fasting. So they had to actually use, you know, ketones for fuel. Their body would start to produce ketones once they got into that state of ketosis. If they went through periods of, you know, just not having food available because they were obviously hunter gatherers, things like that. Um, but then they also went through periods where, you know, there was, um, like the seasons change and they had maybe some berries or fruits and things available as well. So they were able to eat carbs and utilize those for fuel. So just all that being said, like our, <clears throat> our, you know, DNA hasn't really changed in like researchers estimate that like 90, 90 to 95% of our, our genetics and our DNA hasn't really changed in like over 10,000 years. Right. But our lifestyles have transitioned from being those hunter gatherers to in this kind of current society where we're, it's all just farming and factory. And mm -hmm. that's just been in the last like hundred years. Right. Which is crazy. Um, so food's always available to us now. And it's obviously we have lots of processed foods and things like that. So um, right now, like there's a lot of people who are very, very metabolically inflexible, especially like with the standard American diet. If we are, you know, higher carb, you know, as we go through that life, like as we go through our life, we actually are born in a, in a place where we should be utilizing ketones as babies. We should be utilizing ketones for fuel, um, you know, having higher fat breast milk, things like that. Like our, our brain develops in that state, not necessarily in a complete state of ketosis, but going in and out of that state and being metabolically flexible. Um, and then as we come into kind of the real world and especially, like I said, in, you know, a higher carb realm in the standard American diet, we become so far on the end of being metabolically inflexible where we can't tap into like body fat or even that state of ketosis. Um, and that in itself can, can lead to a lot of issues if we continue to go down that rabbit hole with, you know, blood sugar dysregulation, um, you know, diabetes, things like that. Um, so that's kind of one, I like to kind of divide it into two spectrums. On one side of the spectrum, we have those who are metabolically inflexible in the sense of they're just so used to having carbs all the time, high carb. Like I said, they can't tap into their body fat for, you know, energy and producing ketones or producing or being in a state of ketosis at all. Um, and just, they're so reliant of car on carbs. And then, <clears throat> sorry, I apologize. It's okay. Um, for some people, eventually that can lead to like, like I said, blood sugar dysregulation, insulin resistance. So they actually start to become resistant to, um, to being able to use that carbs for fuel. And they're kind of in this like weird place where their body is just so overworked and so stressed, um, and they're so metabolically inflexible on that side of the spectrum, but then there is this other side of the spectrum. And this is where I've kind of come into this space is like those people who, and this was me, right? This is me when I went keto for so long and I had benefits and I kind of just went down that, um, mental road where I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I, you know, I, I can't, you know, do anything else and I have to continue on here. Um, we have those people who have gone keto and they got 
great results initially, and then they just continue to, to go and they start to not get those results or start to get negative results. And they're like, oh, well, I just need to maybe reduce my carbs even more, right? To keep, or maybe I have to fast even more to, to continue to get the benefits. And so they become metabolically inflexible on that side of the spectrum because their body starts to not be able to recognize carbs as, as an, as a fuel source in the sense of, um, like, obviously we can still use them, but when you, you know, go so long without consuming carbohydrates and you're bringing your insulin levels so low and you're kind of basically it's a, it's a kind of a uh, use it or lose it situation with your digest digestive enzymes and some other enzymes and some other hormonal things that are going on in your body where your body's like, Hey, like you haven't fed me carbs for a while. So if you feed me carbs, like I'm not necessarily going to recognize this fuel source, um, as efficiently if, uh, sorry, as efficiently as if I had them, um, a little bit more regularly or kind of more balanced. So there's kind of those two sides of the spectrum. And the goal of metabolic flexibility is to kind of, you know, be in the middle and be able to use both fuel sources um, and bring people back to more balance. No, I love that. I, and I totally agree. And it's, it's a really complex thing, but really simple when you break it down. And I, think that, and I see this with so many people that I work with, and especially because I kind of came from the fitness space where we're told we eat every two to three hours, there's zero food freedom because you're constantly thinking about, okay, if I'm leaving the house to go grocery shopping, I'm going to be gone, you know, running errands for like two hours. Should I put a protein bar in my purse? And it's like, in what world would that ever have been realistic, you know, for our ancestors? And I think that was just one of them. I, I totally related when you said, the food freedom, because you're not always thinking about food because you don't have to, because you fuel when you eat and you can burn either what you ate or you can burn your body fat when you're not. And honestly, that's the place that no matter what I think your goals are, whether it's putting on lean muscle mass, whether it's losing body mass, that's a place that I think that we all could benefit from even just from like a, a health standpoint, like we should be able to have that because I, I, I see this a lot, especially when my husband and I, we go out on these really long hikes in the mountains. We're gone for like eight, nine hours. We aren't eating a whole ton because we're hiking and we're like in this almost like survival mode. And we're able to do that because our body can tap into body fat to do that. Whereas like, if you would have asked me to do that a few years ago, when I was literally being hypoglycemic in the middle of a workout, I wouldn't have if we think about that evolutionarily, like I would have died off. <laughs> I wouldn't need it. Like that's the strongest survive. And if you can be metabolically flexible, you're going to just be more resilient. I mean, we look at the impact that it has on metabolic health or on immune health and hormone health and all these different things. And so what are some signs? I know I just kind of mentioned like a few that I personally had. What is What are some things that people can maybe do like a mental checklist if they are maybe suspecting that they might not have good metabolic flexibility? What are some things that they should notice? Sure. So like a few of the things that you mentioned in terms of just like kind of always relying on food to, to regulate your energy levels, right? You're always kind of thinking about your next meal or you're always um, like maybe you're kind of on that blood sugar roller coaster where, you know, you consume food, you feel good. And then, you know, a little bit later you have that crash and you're just always kind of looking for your next meal or your next snack, um, and, and some of these signs too, like there's also, obviously it's so individual too, because there's going to be other things going on as well. Like some people might have, you know, blood sugar dys dysregulation or, um, like other things going on that are, that are not necessarily always related to like nutrition. So for example, like if you're not sleeping or you're overtraining or things like that, like that's all going to play into it. Um, but these are just some things that I would say, 
um, if you have a lot of these kind of signs and symptoms, it, it would be it would probably mean that you are pretty metabolically inflexible or you're more towards that spectrum or that side of the spectrum. Um, so like always, like I said, always relying on food, um, maybe just like constant fatigue throughout the day, kind of always relying on uh, maybe caffeine, like you're like that afternoon crash, you have to, you know, go for that cup of coffee. Um, just kind of things like mood swings and just energy ups and downs, constant cravings, constant, like kind of feeling like you're, you're being controlled by those hunger and cravings. Uh, maybe you wake up hungry, like every single day. I mean, it's not abnormal to wake up hungry some days, but if you're waking up hungry every single day, um, that's a sign that you're maybe having some blood sugar dysregulation or you're having some issues with that. Um, if you like, for example, if you are, you know, someone who's been low carb or keto for a while and you, um, you know, eat carbohydrates and you just feel like crap afterwards and you just have some like a huge energy crash, that would be a sign. Um, on the other side of the the spectrum, if you are used to, you know, consuming car higher carbs, right. And you try to go a period of time with like fasting and that that's like really, really hard. That's a sign that your body again, just can't transition into efficiently using fat and ketones for fuel. Um, so that would be another sign of just being metabolically inflexible. Um, and then also there's, you know, it's not just the nutrition side of things. There's also kind of the exercise component of it too, um, in terms of working in different energy systems and being able to train, you know, your aerobic energy system and anaerobic energy system and being able to, um, you know, lift weights and, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, do some sprints or just do low intensity work and being able to kind of transition between those, um, easily or, you know, efficiently, um, that would be a sign, you know, if you can do that, that'd be a sign of metabolic flexibility. Again, that also, there's also other things that go into that, but these are kind of just some general signs. Um, there isn't like one thing like, Hey, you have this, so you're metabolically inflexible. It's kind of like a, um, a kind of a cascade of things that, that evolve. Um, so yeah, hopefully did that answer your question? Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that can't, can't quite get there. Like just mm -hmm. with those simple things, like I have people, uh, especially kind of more when they come from not to even go down this rabbit hole, but like a plant-based where they're, and it's not always plant-based, but just this rabbit hole of like, I literally can't, I feel, I feel hungry two hours after I'm eating, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, we shouldn't feel constantly hungry. Like we need to feel satisfied and we need to be able to kind of tap into that. So, um, what are some of your favorite tips to help get to that point where you can feel more satiated with what you're eating and you can like have time in between your meals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, you know, like being, I guess like achieving metabolic flexibility in that sense or becoming more metabolically flexible, like tips with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I know you're really big into lifestyle, which mm -hmm. I love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the first, like the way that I kind of assess it, like if I have a client coming to me, um, I want to see like where they're at on that spectrum I mentioned, right? Because if someone's mm -hmm. coming from being like solely relying on carbs or, you know, some people call it like a sugar burner where their, their body's just like, just wants to run on glucose, wants to run on, uh, like stored glycogen. And they, again, they just can't really tap into that fat for energy. Eventually they can, but it's hard, right? It's, it's not easy. Um, so if you're on that side of the spectrum versus if you are on the other side of the spectrum where you're solely a fat burner, where your body's just so used to now using ketones and fat for fuel, when you try to, you know, increase your carbs, then you're, again, you just have kind of the same things where you just don't, 
you don't feel great. Um, you have, you know, your body's just not used to those carbs. So the first thing is just figuring out like where you are on the spectrum and like, or at least what side you're closer to, because if you're solely, um, a sugar burner, if you're more, you know, high carb, then to get more metabolically flexible or to be able to tap into, um, your fat stores and ketones, you, you do have to go through a period of reducing carbohydrates. It's not the only way, but it's one of the most efficient ways to do that. So reducing your carbohydrate, um, intake, um, particularly from like processed foods and, and things like that. Um, so that would be like for, for that person. And then if someone was solely a fat burner, you know, gradually actually increasing your carb intake and, you know, particularly from, you know, whole food sources, right. And using it strate- or influencing them strategically, like post-workout, pre-workout, mm-hmm. maybe before bed, things like that. Um, so if it, it kind of, that's like the first step, like what side are you on and how can we start to transition you into a little bit more balance? Um, and then of course, you know, Im- implementing, you know, just looking at your overall food, like, are you, you know, are you eating a lot of processed foods versus whole foods? Are you eating high quality protein and fats? Um, like what's your <clears throat> kind of intake with that? Obviously eating more whole foods, more foods that are, you know, closer to nature. I always say, um, you know, 80 ish to 90% of your day should look like, um, foods that either had a face at some point or have grown yeah. from the earth at some point. Um, it's just a good way to think about it. Like any foods that have had a face are going to be, you know, animals. So animal foods, uh, meats, you know, fish, eggs, things like that. And then grown from the earth would be like vegetables and fruits, all that. Um, and then, you know, we live in the real world. So having some balance there where, you know, if 80% of your day is whole foods and you're getting all your nutrients there, then yeah, maybe 10 to 20% of your day is going to be, you know, some other processed foods or even like protein powders and protein bars. Like that's totally fine or a cookie or whatever, whatever works for you. Um, but making sure that, 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 that there's a balance there. Um, I would say also thinking about, you know, um, experimenting with different fasting protocols. So if you are Mm. someone who's on the other side of the spectrum or one side of the spectrum where you, you know, you just, you haven't fasted at all, or like, like I said, you wake up and you have to eat right away. Um, you have to eat every few hours. So starting to experiment with maybe pushing off your first meal a little bit in the morning to extend that fasting window overnight, or maybe you stop eating earlier, just kind of playing around with, um, kind of uh, people refer to it as like your fat burning windows. Like, so Mm -hmm. simply, you know, four to five hours between meals and just trying that right. Instead of like two to three, that's going to like transition and help your, help teach your body how to burn a little bit more fat for fuel and tap into those fat stores. Um, and then also thinking about like cycling your macronutrients, right? It's like cycling carbs, um, you know, especially around periods of exercise. So if you're someone who exercises or, you know, trains, lifts, whatever, especially like higher intensity exercise, um, I always say that macronutrient variability is the key to be to maintaining metabolic flexibility. So being able to use carbs strategically, but also being able to go through periods of maybe a little bit lower carb. Um, and especially around workouts, like I mentioned, especially post-workout would be like, if someone's like, where should I've been, you know, keto or low carb for a long time, you know, when is the best time to start incorporating carbs back in? I always start with, uh, particularly post-workout um, and then also a little bit pre-workout. Reason for that is because we know after we exercise, um, you know, our muscles are most sensitive to actually taking up that, you know, those carbohydrates and that glucose into our muscle cells versus storing them as fat because we mm-hmm. actually have um, transporters within, like our muscles kind of act like a sponge. So they're kind of, uh, simplest way to say this is they're like turned on to be able to, you um, 
uptake glucose a little bit easier post-workout than at any other time throughout the day. So if you're going to consume carbs, consuming them post-workout, it's going to be um, advantageous because you're probably more likely to um, store those carbs in your muscle cells um, as glycogen versus storing them as body fat. Obviously, this is not like you can't go and consume like thousands of calories worth of carbs and be like, oh, I, it's after my workout. So they're all going to go to my muscle cells. No, like there's, <laughs> there's a cap to that. Right. Um, but just being aware of that is a, is a good way, um, to kind of think about that and just surrounding your workout. Um, what else? Just making sure that you're like, you mentioned the lifestyle factor. So optimizing your sleep, like making sure that you're sleeping, you have high quality sleep, you know, you are paying attention to that you're not just running off of four hours of sleep. And then you're wondering why you're feeling like crap all the time, because that's obviously going to affect that. It's going to affect your blood sugar levels, all of that, your stress, right? Um, paying attention to your stress, implementing, you know, stress management techniques, things like that. Um, paying attention to recovery. So there's a bunch of different, you know, lifestyle factors within that. And that's something too, that people like forget about. And I did myself too. Like, I was like, Oh, like I need to focus so much on my nutrition and getting all this together. But wait, I'm only sleeping five hours a night and I am training six days a week. I'm not letting my body recover. Okay. Well, that's, (laughs) that's going to be a recipe for disaster. So those things are, yeah. Got to pay attention to everything. It's so interesting seeing, the lifestyle impact, especially stress and what that does to your blood sugar. When I, have you ever worn a CGM? Yeah, I have. So when I wore mine, my blood sugar levels were phenomenal. The only times they were not phenomenal was when I was stressed. Like Mm -hmm. when I was stressed, it was like, oh my gosh, am I a diabetic? Like (laughs) my levels were just so high. And then I meditated and I went for a walk and it's just amazing how those levels just dropped. And I get that not everybody is caused by stress. But I think tools like that are really interesting so that you can see, oh yeah, like no wonder why I'm craving more carbs. No wonder why I'm craving more sugar. No wonder why X, Y, Z, whatever your symptom is due to when you have certain lifestyle factors, maybe you're overtraining, maybe you're not sleeping. I mean, not sleeping is probably one of the biggest ones. And I feel like that's something that people never want to talk about. People don't want to talk about optimizing their sleep. They want to know what supplement they should take. They want to know like what diet they should try. Should they be keto? Should they be high carb, low carb? And it's like most of the stuff is lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like so I can't, I can't, I couldn't agree more. And it's those things that are like, like the least sexy things, right. That you can change or, you know, and I probably should have started when I, when you asked the question, I probably should have started with the lifestyle things, because if you like, aside from your nutrition, like if, like I said, if you're not sleeping, if you're overtraining, if you are always stressed out, if you can start to manage those things, like you could do a lot without even like adjusting your nutrition. Um, nutrition is obviously a huge part of things. And I always used to say like, um, and I'm sure you've heard this, like people say, you know, with, with lifestyles and, or sorry, healthy lifestyle and all of that, like it's, you know, 90% nutrition, but in reality, you know, nutrition is a big piece of it, but you know, I would actually start with the, the other factors because nowadays those are the ones that people struggle so much with. Right. Totally. And kind of just like backtracking to when you were talking about fasting, I think, so when I learned about fasting, probably like a year and a half ago, or like really kind of dove into the research, um, I kind of feel like I just started with like a simple 12 to 13 hours overnight. And I, you know, from there you're able to kind of tailor your fasting. And I think I get a lot of questions on like, I heard that fasting is really bad for women. Like, so I shouldn't do it at all. Right. And I'm like, mm-hmm everybody's so black and white and their things. It's like, it's either good 
or it's like the worst thing in the world for you and it's going to be horrible and it's the end of the world. And I feel like with pretty much everything that we've been talking about today, it's like that black and it's like that gray area. It's not black and white. It's not too much carbs or it's not like high carbs and it's not minimal carbs. It's like that gray area. What is that for you? And, you know, it's the same thing with fasting. I mean, at least that's how I see it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think fasting is, you know, it's kind of just another thing that we have to realize that it all comes back to like you as an individual. And Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I find um, in kind of determining like, you know, how long you should fast or if you should even try fasting is going to just number one thing is going to be your personal stress levels in your, in your life. Like what are all the things that are causing stress for you? And let's kind of look through that and see like, okay, where's your stress barometer at? Because we know that stress in our body, right? That is like stress from exercise that can be a good stress, but if you overdo it, it can start to, to be a bad stress in terms of your body just kind of is, is, is being overworked. Right. But then you also have stress from work and stress from maybe your nutrition and stress from not sleeping and all of that. So we have to kind of think about, okay, where are you at in terms of your stress levels and how can we potentially use fasting strategically to help, um, to help you, but not go too far, you know, down that rabbit hole where it's actually causing more stress on your body because then that in itself is just going to be a recipe for disaster. Right. So the number one thing that, you know, I always look at first, if I'm going to like recommend fasting for someone, or if they say like, you know, I want to try fasting or whatever it is, it's always like, okay, what are all the stressors that are happening and how are you going to respond to that? And, and taking more of a gradual approach versus saying like, oh, why don't you just start, like, try a 24-hour fast and see how it goes. <laughs> like, like yeah, every once in a while you can do that if it's whatever, but it's all just kind of coming back to that individual and, like, looking at all the other – all the things they have going on in their life and, like, what makes the most sense for them. Totally. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, so – and I, and I think so with so much of this, it's either really important. So many people just like really want to be told what to do. And I think I challenge people to really dip into your intuition and like dip into like what your body is trying to tell you. A lot of us don't really understand what that is, right? Like whether it's, oh my gosh, I'm feeling hot and shaky and my I feel like my blood sugar is crashing. I'm craving all this food. Like, I don't know what to do. Or it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know when to fast. I don't know when I want to eat because I just, I want to be told when to do all these things. I think that, I think that I really encourage people to like really start listening to your body and knowing, cause like you are very different than me and I'm very different than people that I work with. And you're very different than every client that you're working with. And kind of, and that's the kind of where I start, especially when, you know, telling people, how they should fast or kind of getting that metabolic flexibility. But I think we covered a lot of like the really basic general tips that we can start to getting there, which I think is really, really great. Yeah, I um, agree. I would yeah. say too, one, one thing too, that just kind of piggybacks off that is um, I do have some people who are like, well, I, I can't listen to my body because, you know, I try to fast and then I'm, I like, I'm hungry. Right. right? I'm like, right. And so sometimes, you know, if the, in, in the, the intuition is you're kind of just, like all over the place with that. And you really can't decipher between what's real hunger versus what's a craving 
or you just like you can't do you know, can't do that um sometimes just trying things and and trying like one thing at a time versus trying to change 10 things at a time is is super beneficial and then that also comes with like you know working with someone who who can help you right to help you kind of determine okay what's the best course of action what's the best plan for where you're at now let's try some things but let's do it in a way that we are trying to control as many variables as possible so we're not like throwing like a ton of stuff at you and then trying to figure out what's actually working. So I think that's something just to think about. I think at least with a lot of my clients, like, um, or at least some clients that come to me, they want to like change everything at once. And it's like, all right, well we can do that, but how are we going to know like what's actually working? So I think just being pa- patient is always the biggest thing with that. But yeah, I just wanted to, to touch no, on that's, that. That is very true. And especially because yeah, it, <laughs> It's hard. You have to kind of start, you have to listen to your body, but at the same time, you're very true. Like you're very right. Like if someone is not in a good metabolic place, they're like, well, my body's like really craving chips right now. Or like my body's really craving sugar. So I'm just listening to it. And I think that's where people can get into trouble with intuitive eating. Um, is, is if they're not metabolically flexible. Whereas when you're at a place where your hormones are in balance and like, you're just, you're in this place, which is ideally where I like to get everybody that I work with, that you know where you're at in your cycle and you know like how to balance certain things during that time, then you can kind of see what your body's listening to. But that is definitely hard. And I think that's, like you said, important why it's easy to kind of especially work with someone in this so that they can kind of help guide you so that, and they can work with you to see how certain things are feeling as you're kind of making this transition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on keto for women. This is a question that I get a lot, especially, um, especially because I, I really am in the space of like PCOS and insulin resistant causing hormone issues. And so I'm really interested on your thoughts, um, whether short term, um, how you feel for it long term. Mm-hmm. Where are you with that? <laughs> yeah. So I think, so I think keto can still be like a really, really great tool. Um, and I think women can still definitely utilize keto. And like I said, that's kind of one way to encourage that metabolic flexibility. Um, there is going to be, again, coming back to the individual, like again, where they're at. So it's kind of talking back to the fasting side of things with their stress levels, with, you know, what, what side of the spectrum they're on. Right. So it's all kind of coming back to, to looking at the individual first and realizing like, okay, let's, let's see where you're at. Um, and let's see what issues you might have. And, you know, have you tried a lower carb approach before? Have you tried, um, a keto approach before? Um, and really it's kind of a, one of those things where, like I said, it's like trying things out and seeing, you know, how you react to it, but also, also thinking about, you know, with the ketogenic diet, this is something that, you know, I work with a lot of clients too. And and with like the book that I wrote a few years ago, um, it's all about trying to help people to, you know, do keto the quote unquote right way. Um, and when I say that, it's really focusing on the things that people tend to forget about if they do transition to keto um, or try to implement a ketogenic diet for a period of time. There's a lot of like simple things that, um, that it's like the least sexy things, right. That we talked about before that will kind of go the the most, right. Go the most, uh, not go the most, that's the wrong, wrong set of words, but it will take you the furthest, I guess you could say. Um, Mm -hmm. so like when you're first starting keto, like a lot of people forget about electrolytes and water and that in itself is like a huge, can make a huge difference in terms of 
like energy levels and performance and all of that. Um, and just eating enough in general, like going, a lot of people, you know, look at keto as kind of a weight loss or a fat loss diet or whatever. Um, and they start to, you know, maybe transition to lower carbs or going into a, going on a ketogenic diet. And then they also drop their calories super low right from the get go. And they wonder why their energy levels suck or they feel like crap because they've put themselves into such a, a deep deficit, deficit right from the start. Um, or they've dropped carbohydrates so low, which is like not, maybe not necessarily, not necessarily advantageous or they've dropped protein so low, which I'm a huge advocate of a higher protein approach when it comes to, you know, implementing a ketogenic diet. And this is all with, you know, for women, especially too. um, like a lot of the female clients I work with, like probably 90% of them that come to me are under eating protein, um, so that's a huge one. Um, also like with females, again, going back to kind of just realizing that we do have more sensitive hormones than males. And sometimes, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, during, you know, periods of the month, obviously, and kind of working with your own body and kind of figuring out, okay, what works with for you and can we implement keto in a way that, um, is going to work for you versus against you in terms of your, your overall stress load, your overall, like what, what your exercise is like, things like that. Um, so in general, I think, you know, again, it comes back to the individual, but I feel like, you know, just from my experience and going through it myself, like keto can be a really powerful tool for a lot of people, especially depending on like, you know, what's, you know, if you're on kind of, there's another spectrum. I always like to use these spectrums. Um, it's more so like those who are, um, you know, a little bit, you know, overweight, maybe obese, struggling with some insulin resistance. Um, maybe they're not super active. Um, like maybe they are suffering from PCOS. That could be a, a great, great population to implement a ketogenic diet versus a female who is, you know, on the leaner side, she doesn't have too much body fat. She's super, super active. Um, you know, whether it's endurance or, um, like lifting lots of muscle mass, lots of, you know, activity going on there. Uh, type a person who always wants to, you know, do more that used to be me. Um, and so that might not be the best situation to go completely into like a a very low carb ketogenic diet. Um, so it kind of just depends on like where you're coming from and then also like what your goals are, because, you know, even with those leaner, leaner females, maybe like those who are, you know, on the leaner side and still active, sometimes there can be some blood sugar dysregulation, you know, happening there. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you're lean and active and don't, and you're not overweight. So you know, keto is not for you or, you know, you don't have to worry about your blood sugar, but for some people, there's a lot of, you know, issues that can still occur there. So I think there's, again, there's just so many kind of different factors to that, but with the female in the, the female, um, versus male with the ketogenic diet, I always say there's, it just has to be a little bit more kind of dialed into that individual and realizing that, you know, going keto for a long period of time might not be the best approach, but potentially implementing it in, um, you know, cyclical keto, especially, like I said, higher protein keto, bringing carbs in, you know, another kind of, there's so many different terms for types of ketogenic diets, but like a targeted approach where you're, you know, maybe lower carb throughout the day, but then you're implementing carbs pre and post workout. So there's so many different like tactics and things like that. Um, and that's really what I, so I created a a keto for woman program, which is basically a three month program to help women, um, implement keto in a, in a way that is, um, going to work for them and really focus more so on like the body composition side of things, but really teaching them throughout that three months, how to become more metabolically flexible or that kind of being the end goal. So that's really for everybody. I feel like, you know, 
using keto as a tool, but realizing that you don't have to stay there forever or you can't have carbs ever again. Um, that's something that, you know, a lot of people start to get or get caught up on. So just kind of finding that balance. Definitely. And I, and I totally agree with that. I think, I think that keto can be very helpful for people if they are really kind of starting needing to teach their body how to dip into their fat stores for fuel. I think that can be really good. And then kind of like, it sounds like how you do, you just kind of slowly taper things and you can get kind of back to a place where it's a lifestyle. Cause there's people who generally feel better with lower carb. There's people who feel better with moderate. And then there's people who feel better with more. And it's all, once you get to that place where you're able to burn what you're eating and then also burn your own body fat or burn dietary fat for fuel. And then, then you know that you're at a good place. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I see this a lot with people who have weight loss resistances. They're just not at that point yet, you know? So yeah, yeah, but that's awesome. (laughs) I love that. So tell people how they can connect with you, how they can find you. Um, just so, because I know you offer that great program, um, so that they can dive into, to all of this information. I know you have a podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so my all of my programs and my podcasts and everything can be found at my website, which is uh, metflexlife.com. Um, my podcast is called Metflex and Chill. Uh, just a funny takeoff of Netflix and Chill. Um, I love it. And it's the podcast is really geared around, um, you know, educating people on metabolic flexibility, but also bringing different experts in from, you know, different realms of nutrition and fitness and, and getting their opinions and, and kind of diving into that. So it's not just about metabolic flexibility. There's a lot of other um, just overall nutrition exercise components to that. Um, and then, like I said, at my programs, Keto for Women is kind of my my most uh uh, popular program in, in that sense. Um, but I also have a muscle science room and program, which we, we talked about with, that's with my, uh, friend or our friend, Ashley Van Houten. Um, so that's if females are interested in kind of getting a little bit into the lifting side of things and learning more about that. Um, we didn't talk about that too much today, but there's, there's so many benefits to that. Um, so yeah. And then on, I guess on Instagram, my handle is at rachelgregory.cns and, you know, I'm just posting, um, try to post, uh, some good content there a few times a week, um, and keep up with that. But yeah, those would be the main platforms. Nice. Awesome. So everybody should go connect with you there. Um, I love your, I love your podcast. That's amazing. (laughs) Very so much. So creative. Um, before I let you go, I always ask, this is a recent thing that I've been doing with all my (laughs) guests, but what is one thing that you do every single day to be the alpha of your health? If you had to pick one, Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, man. So for me, I would say just getting outside and going on a walk. Like I know that if I don't do that every single day, like I just don't feel great. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily always like every morning, but sometime throughout the day, just going for a walk. Um, I Or like walking to the gym versus driving to the gym. I do that every day. Um, so some form of just like movement. And then obviously I'm really into lifting. Um, so that's kind of like my outlet. Um, so I would guess it's a combination of like the movement and just general walking outside and getting sun and fresh air and all that. And then lifting is kind of like, like being in the gym is, is kind of my happy place. So I love that. And I, I would have to say that 
that's probably mine. I had someone ask me yesterday because I was talking about like circadian rhythm and just like really creating good health routine. And they're like, what is like a non-negotiable? And I, I said getting outside and going for a walk. Cause I mean, we have a treadmill and I can use that, but I don't get the same therapeutic benefits as I do from being outside. So I would definitely have to agree. That's probably one of my favorites. I'm actually going to go for another one with a dog after this podcast. I actually thank God there's a mute feature on this because someone came and dropped off a package and the dog's in the office with me and it would she would have blown our earphones off. So thank God for that. But um, I totally agree. Sometimes it's, it's that lifestyle medicine that truly I think makes the biggest difference. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and coming on to chat about this. It's something that I I know that a lot of people can benefit from. And so hopefully they can take all the great tips and stuff that we talked about in the podcast and really start go implementing and for, and really help achieve that metabolic flexibility. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Um, I'm actually excited to have you on my podcast as well soon. So that'll be fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Woo!